0: Let's look in our Bibles this evening to the book of Psalm, to the 145th Psalm. We're looking at Psalm 145. We'll have a word of prayer before we read. Again, we're just glad to have our visitors with us. It's an old saying among among fishermen, I wish you'd have been here a week or two ago. (laughs) The weather was nice then. Sorry it's cold for you now. But I understand you're catching fish, so that's good. Let me mention this to you. I talked to Brother Brown last night in Thailand, and also by instant messenger, I talked to pastors over there for about 40 minutes last night, and everyone there said to tell everyone here hello, and uh, had a good time teaching them, and hearing them sing, I always like to hear the people over there sing, It's a something special the way they sing it's a little different than we do but I just wanted to pass that along to you let's go to the Lord in prayer Father thank you again for your blessings thank you for this day we thank you for all that you do for us that we are aware of and that we are not aware of we just thank you for being our God and our Father We ask you to be with us as we look into your word. We pray that you would help us each time that we look into the scriptures. Give us a desire to know more and more of your word. We'll know more and more of our God. We pray for each member of our church, especially those that are sick. You know each one and the cares and problems that are with each one. We pray that you would be with them fill their needs according to your will we pray that you'll give comfort where it is needed again we pray for all of your people and churches all over this world we ask your blessings upon each one of them thank you for our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ we're thankful for redemption that we have in him we're thankful that we have a Savior who truly saves and it's in his name that I pray Amen. In Psalm 145 verse 17 and verse 18 The Lord is righteous in all his ways And holy in all his works The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him To all that call upon him in truth I uh, read this message recently, this, these verses recently in a message. And also this past Sunday, these two verses were in our bulletin. And I wanted to bring them to you again this evening. It'll be sort of a two-part message as we look at this, and we'll look at the verses following this also as we uh, go through the message. But I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 17, what is written there. The Lord, you'll notice spelled in all capital letters, is Jehovah God. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. There are those in denying the doctrines of grace who charge God with being unjust. I don't know how many times I've heard that through the years. That if the doctrine of predestination and election is true. That God would be unjust in, in doing that. And I've always thought that to accuse God of being unjust is a serious matter. It slanders the name and the character of God. And it certainly is a blatant denial of the word of God. Verse 17 and what is stated there is very important doctrine that everyone ought to grasp and hold on to and have no doubts about at all. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his work. What we refer to as the doctrines of grace cannot be biblically denied. That God has predestinated some under the adoption of children is a biblical fact. We can read about that in Ephesians chapter 1. It's stated very plainly in verse verse 5. And that God has chosen some under salvation. Again, is stated very clearly in the Word of God, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, and in verse thirteen. Also, you can look back to Ephesians one again, and there are those that are chosen in Christ. When we think about that, He has chosen some under salvation, has predestinated some unto the adoption of children. What about the others? What about those that were not chosen, were not predestinated? Is God unfair in not choosing all? That is, again, the charge that is placed many times by those that deny the biblical teaching. But we know that God is just and the justifier of those who believe. He is just and holy in all of it. His ways, and again verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all of His ways without any exception. He is holy in all of His works. But the natural mind just cannot seem to, to grasp that biblical truth. Those that, even those that are saved who are not really familiar with the scripture have never studied the word of God never been in a sound church, they cannot grasp the teaching of God's sovereignty and His justice, His righteousness in all things. I've been told many times, I was told when I first came to this church by a member of this church who's been gone for a good while now, but I was told, well, I believe everyone has a chance. And there are those who had rather believe that salvation is by chance rather than by the sovereign will and choice of God. Many have the idea that what God does for one, he is obligated to do to others or to all. And again, I've had read into that many times here and in other places in the world. That what God does for one, he's obligated to do for another. But I don't know of any human being that would want to hold themselves to that rule. That what they do for one, they're obligated to do for all. But yet, they would like to have God held to that, that standard. And to think that God treats everyone equally and in the same manner... Is not only an, a a thought that is contrary to scriptures. It's really a ridiculous thought. I mean, even just by observation, we know God does not treat everyone alike. Look over the First Corinthians. There are many places you could go, but this came to my mind in First Corinthians and in chapter twelve. As you're turning there, I think I've told the church here before, many years ago, Brother Wayne Camp and I were in Thailand. We were having a meeting with a good many preachers. And Brother Camp was trying to press this point upon them, that God was not under any obligation to do for all what he does for one. And he had the idea in his teaching, well, I'll just demonstrate it. So he pulled out in their currency a hundred baht, which would equal to about three dollars here. And he asked one of the pastors to stand up, and Brother Camp walked over there and handed it to him. Got back up at the podium, and he asked everybody else there, now because I gave Silas this hundred baht, Am I obligated to give everyone here a hundred baht? And everybody there raised their hand and said yes. He had a hard time trying to explain why he didn't, He was not under obligation to give everyone there a hundred baht. But again, it's just a, a thing, just logically, we know that that is just not so. Here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, I'm just going to use verse 29 as an example of this, where the Apostle Paul asked these questions Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? And if not, why not? I added that question too. If God has to treat everyone equally, why are not all apostles? Why are not all prophets or many other things we could could list there. If if not the first sermon that Jesus preached, it would be one of the first sermons that he preached. And I'm going to go to Luke chapter 4. And it's interesting to me at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the thing that he pointed out was, The sovereignty of God, and that God did not treat everyone equally. In Luke chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 25. Jesus said, But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Again, Jesus pointed out God can do something for one and he's under no obligation to do it for anyone else. You might notice in verse 28 the response was, all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. There's something about the sovereignty of God that makes some people angry. I don't know if it was just that one widow was helped and one leper was cleansed or that both of them were Gentiles and not Jews. I don't know what it was that upset them but they got upset because Jesus pointed out God can do what he pleases. If he sees fit to save one and not another he's just and righteous in doing that. All one has to do is really Think of their own salvation experience. Maybe when you were saved, there were many in the congregation that day that were not, but you were saved and maybe they were not. Why not? God saved you, why not them? But well, it's God's prerogative. It's just God's sovereign right. I go to the book of John, another example that I've used Here several times. In John chapter 5. You remember the account in John chapter 5. That we're told in verse 3. That at this pool. That was called Bethesda. That there lay a great multitude of impotent folks. of blind, halt, withered. Waiting for the moving of the water. And Jesus approached. This pool and this great multitude of people. All of them were in great need. But verse 5 says a certain man was there. A certain man was there. In all that great multitude. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Verse 8. Jesus told that man. Rise. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. There's no record of Jesus healing anyone else there. As far as we know, he left the rest of them just as they were. But he walked in that multitude of of impotent folk there and healed one man. I think about Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. How the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus that day, but not one of those who was traveling with him. You'd think they all were in the same need of salvation. But he saved just one of them. And the rest of them remained as they were. As Jesus was being crucified, he saved one thief and not the other. Why not the other? They were both sinners. They were both right there. He saved one and not the other. Again, I'm reminded of our text in Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all of His his works. Why was it that God... Only chose Abraham out of the earl of the Chaldees and made him the father of all that believe. What about Noah and his family? What was it that caused Noah to find grace in the eyes of the Lord and not any other family? Why is it that he was allowed in the ark, he and his family, and no one else was allowed? God shut the door. The Lord has a right to do as he wills. I'm going back and read our text again. Again, Psalm 145, verse 17 is so important that we keep in mind. For there are those and plenty of those who say that all these things that I've mentioned, if that's true, God's unjust. God would be unjust to choose one and not another. Well, the Bible says the Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. Now look at what's stated next. And we read verse 18, but we'll read it again. But these are connected by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Now we know that one of the great attributes of God is omnipresence. We know that God is everywhere. There's no place in heaven or earth that God is not. He is with each individual, unbeliever and believer alike. He's everywhere. He's close to me. He's close to you. He's here and he's everywhere. But we have this statement in verse 18 That the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. So there must be a special nearness here. That is mentioned and there is a qualifying phrase put at the end of that verse. I've noticed the Holy Spirit had had David to add this to that statement. Now read the entirety of it. The Lord is nigh unto all that call upon him. And here's the qualifying phrase. To all that call upon him in truth. There are many that call upon the Lord, but not in truth. What is stated here disqualifies many. Many. Of the Lord being near to. He's not near to them in this special way. He is in His omnipresence, but not in this, this special way. The Lord is near unto these that call upon Him in truth in a way in which He is not near unto all people. And I thought about this last phrase in verse 18 To all that call upon Him, in truth, what is meant by calling upon the Lord in truth? Who is it that does call upon the Lord in truth? Again, many people call upon the Lord. Many in false religion, many unbelievers. In certain times in their life, maybe a tragedy will happen in their family, and they'll want to call up on the Lord. Who is it and how is it that we call upon the Lord in truth? We know first of all this has to be a saved individual. To call upon the Lord in truth you have to have God given faith. You have to have a new heart and a new spirit. Being made a, a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. To call upon the Lord in truth would be one that has a great reverence for God. And again, it would be calling upon the Lord in, in, in believing and in, in faith, nothing wavering. It's not really calling upon the Lord in the Lord in truth, in our prayers even if we're not praying believing. Really trusting God to keep his word. We call upon the, the Lord in truth. Those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. You worship God in that, that manner. Look back to Psalm 84. And as you're turning there. Those that call upon the Lord in truth. Are those who also have life. That. Accurately reflect their belief and their profession. They walk uprightly in a sinful world. In Psalm eighty-four, and in verse eleven, for the Lord God is a son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That walk uprightly. Those that walk uprightly and not hypocritically or unfaithfully. The Lord will withhold no good thing from them. I'm going to go back to the 34th Psalm. Psalm 34. Verse 17 and verse 18. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh. Notice this again about the Lord being near. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. In our texts, in Psalm 145 and in verse 18. As I mentioned earlier, there are many that are disqualified here, that do not call upon the Lord in truth. The unfaithful, the hypocrites, those in false worship, they're disqualified. The promise of this nearness here, this special nearness in verse 18 is reserved only for those who call upon him in truth. It would do good for everyone, myself included, to just examine ourselves in this matter. When we call upon the Lord, do we do it in truth? Do we do it in truth? If we want this nearness that's mentioned in verse 18, we must call upon the Lord in truth. I'm going to read these two verses together because I just like them together. They're together in the scripture. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. Now I'm going to look at verse 19. And as I read this, notice it says he will. There's, There's promises here in verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him he also will hear their cry and will save them or deliver them three wheels there that are mentioned of of Jehovah God again the ones he is referring to is the same ones that i think in verse 18 You have the word fear in verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. That's not the kind of fear most people think about. This is godly reverence. Truly have a reverence for God. The promise is not to anyone else. No one else has a right to claim this promise. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry. Well, it tells me that there's some, maybe he don't hear their cry. Not in this special way. He will save them, and there is a deliverance here. Deliverance many times is physical as well as spiritual. But we call upon the Lord in truth, maybe in times of trouble, and we just say, Lord, we need help. We call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. There's nothing there but a definite statement. A definite statement. It should never be doubted. He also will hear their cry and will save them. We read in Psalm 34 a moment ago, I'm going to go back there, in Psalm 34, we read verse 17 and verse 18 a moment ago, I want to read verse 1 through verse 10 now, and just remember what we just read concerning the Lord and His dealings with those who fear Him. Psalm 34 and in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Just meditate a little bit on verse 2 there if you will. Boasting of ourself is excluded. But boasting in the Lord is what we ought to be doing. The psalmist said, "My soul shall make her boast in the Lord." Then he said, "The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Just hear you're boasting in the Lord. Verse three, O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. And he heard me. That's kind of fulfilling the promise that we read a moment ago. He said he would. For those who fear him. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. Well that's what we read a moment ago. He said he would. It's a promise. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that feared him, and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, again reverence, godly reverence. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, why? For or because there is no want to them that fear him. Maybe you think back to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. I'm going to go from there to Psalm 37. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Let me just read on down here. Notice verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. One of the hardest things we're called upon to do. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Commit everything unto him. And just rest patiently. Verse 8 says. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But they, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Back in Psalm 145 again. I'm going to read verse 20. But again, just a reminder, God does not deal with everyone equally. I mean, that's just common sense. We know he does not. It's certainly biblical. Notice in verse 20 how he deals with two sets of people. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, But all the wicked will he destroy. Mentioning that some believe God treats everyone alike. There are those who believe, really believe, everyone's going to heaven. There are some that really believe that. They really do not believe in condemnation of hell. Somehow they believe everyone's going to heaven. Well, we're told in verse 20, there's two different ways the Lord deals with two sets of people. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. Then you have a contrast. But all the wicked will he destroy. There's two promises in verse 20, and one of them is just as real as the other. It's just as sure as the other. Reading verse 20, it's evident that all do not love the Lord. Not even all that profess to love him, truly love him. All do not love him. Those who do not love him are among the wicked that the Lord will destroy. One of the things we ought to be very thankful for is the fruit of the Spirit. is listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and along through there. But a part of the fruit of the Spirit is love. The natural man does not love God. May profess to, may think that he does. But until the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. No one loves God. We love him. Simply because he loved us. And he sent his spirit unto us. Gave us spiritual life. Quickened by the spirit of God. Verse 20. The Lord preserveth. All them that love him. I'm going to turn over to the book of Jude and just read verse 1 of the book of Jude. One of the great doctrines of grace is perseverance. But I'm convinced there would be no perseverance if there was not preservation. If God did not preserve us, we would not persevere. I realize in perseverance there is human responsibility. I never deny that. But again, if God did not preserve us, where would we be? Jude verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Sanctified, set apart by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. Following that, it says, and called. Before we close, I'm about to bring this to an end. I'm going back to Psalm 145. And I want you to notice the little word all in these verses. It's very important. Verse 17 of Psalm 145. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. this psalm closes out with verse 21. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Verse 20 should be the desire of every child of God. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh Bless his holy name forever and ever. If you're a child of God, you want the holy name of your Lord to be reverent. And bless his holy name. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for a time to look into your word. We're so thankful for the greatness of our Lord. We're thankful for these things that we've read this evening. We pray that you'd help us us all to take these things to heart. We're thankful they are recorded for us, and we know that they're there for our learning. Help us to learn. Give us a desire to learn. Thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for blood redemption. And in his name I pray. Amen.